You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Uh, thank you all for coming, and uh, it's great to be back. I've been off a couple of weeks. Uh, Rick's been filling in for me, and uh, the, obviously the series is still going well. So um, thank you for coming back. And I just want to remind people again to turn on your cell phones in case something better comes along. <laughs> and <coughs> tonight's very special for us because we have – Two writers that uh, are important to me and everybody in science fiction. These are two women who, with their their politics, their imagination, and their narrative skills, are among the cadre who changed the face of science fiction forever. And they're still at it. And there's, um, they're uh, very active in the field right now, but they, they have a very important place, I think, in the history of science fiction as well. So, without further ado, I'd like to uh, welcome our first reader, who um, is a favorite of mine. I was at I was an editor at Berkeley Books when her first book was published, A Different Light, which broke like a wave on my own imagination and on science fiction itself. And since uh, after that, she went on to write the Chronicles of Tornor. Was that the name of it? That was the name. A series, and now. Um, um, she's going to read from her uh, a new novel, which is part of not a series, but it's uh, two books so far. And allow me to introduce um, uh, a friend and a writer, Elizabeth Lynn. I didn't know he was going to say any of that. Can you all hear me? Is the mic good? Okay. Uh, I had a little trouble deciding what to read. I had a piece all picked out. And then at the last minute, my imagination kind of went, yes, all right, that's lovely lyrical prose, but there's no drama in it. You have to give these people some drama. So I went to my dear friend and often editor, Debbie Notkin, and said, what do you think, Deb? I I say that a lot. (laughs) And uh, she said, yeah, give them drama. (laughs) So I'm going to read the first chapter of Dragon's Treasure. And before I do that, um, I should probably find out, and please uh, put your hands up high because I'm wearing my reading glasses so I can only see big movements. <laughs> How many people in this room have not read either Dragon's Winter or Dragon's Treasure? Oh, a whole bunch of you. Great, then you're going to get to be introduced to a character that I'm rather fond of. Uh, I don't think I really want to say anything too much about this first chapter. (sighs) No, I don't. You're just going to have to figure it out as it goes along. You can ask me later if it's truly confusing. In the house on Coles Ridge, the outlaws were arguing again. Wakeful in her upstairs chamber, 
Maya Unamira de Sorvino sat silent in the moonlight. The hunter's moon, full and diamond bright, blazed over the dark tree-covered hills. The men in the hall below were drunken and joyful. They had ridden out at sunset, her brother at their head. They had returned hours later, clamoring as if they had conquered a kingdom. The noise rose to a crescendo. Fenris, motionless in her place beside the door, swiveled her fine pale ears back as if the shouting hurt. Morga lifted her dark narrow head and gazed at her mistress. It's all right, Maya said, they'll stop. Someone whooped, I win, a man roared. She thought it was Nils. Pay me, you luckless devils. Suddenly the shouting ceased. Treon had tired of the noise at last. The yelling did not resume. Maya stretched her arms above her head, her muscles ached. In the chamber next door, her grandfather, oblivious to what was happening in his house, snored. He too was drunk. He was constantly drunk now. He had started drinking before her mother's death. And since that event, a year ago New Year's moon, he kept a bottle always nearby. But his sickness, the falling, the tremors, had begun before then. Nothing she knew of Master Ecio's lore would help him. He refused the tonics she mixed for him. On good days, he was lucid. On bad ones, he marched through the house, shouting incoherent orders, half naked, breathing wine fumes into the faces of those who had once obeyed him. They had no time for the sick old warrior. They were Treons now. A door opened, and someone shouted below. At first, she thought it was her brother. Then she heard the rush of footsteps through the house. Booted feet came down the hall. The dogs came silently to their feet. Fenris faced the door, her silver pelt erect. Morga growled deep in her throat. Hush, Maya said softly. She moved to the window and peered through the gap in the shutter. The clearing in front of the manor was ringed with armed men. Moonlight glinted off sword blades. She backed from the window. The knife her mother had left her lay beneath her pillow. She strapped it on. A fist hammered on the door of the chamber next to hers. Her grandfather yelled a stream of drunken curses. A quietly competent voice told him to be still. She waited for them to pound on her door, but they did not. She heard her grandfather's plaintive voice and the sound of booted feet retreating down the stairway. She opened her chamber door and gestured to the dogs. They went downstairs together. The hall was devoid of life except for a blood-stained cat grooming in a corner. It raised its head to growl at the dogs. The front door was ajar. Through the opening, she saw Eden and Nils and the rest of her grandfather's men standing in the clearing. Their weapons lay in a heap in the dirt. She looked for Treon among them. He wasn't there. The hunter's moon made the night bright as day. Her grandfather, barefoot, wearing only his night robe, stood in the center of the clearing, hands on his hips. His white hair was wild. Eva, he called shakily to his dead daughter, her mother. Eva, we, we have guests, bring wine. Before him stood a tall, fair man. He said, do you know where your band of cutthroats went tonight, old man? 
to Thorin Amdur's farm. They stole the horses. They killed Thorin and his son, Garth. They fired the house and left everyone in it to burn. His voice was very deep. His face was bleak as winter. Although Maya had seen him only once before and that at a distance, she knew who he was. Her grandfather said, whining a little, I didn't tell them to do that. Did you not? The dragon lord said, it does not matter. It's done and you must answer for it. She knew the stories of the dragon kind, their strength, their startling generosity and their terrible ferocity when defied. She put her hand flat on the door and pushed. It was stuck. It would not move. Her fingers trembled. Her grandfather leaned forward. You should not speak so to me, he said with a drunkard's mad dignity. I saved your father's life in battle. He granted me this land. The dragon lord said, I know it. You have traded on that service for nearly 30 years. Out of respect for my father, I grant you one day's grace. But by sunset tomorrow, you and your kin must be gone from my domain. What of my men, Rio Unamira demanded. They killed my people, Carador Atani said coldly. Their lives are forfeit. He looked at the encircled outlaws. Which of you is Eden? No one spoke, but heads twitched. The dragon lord leveled a finger. You, step forward. Eden obeyed. The other men moved away from him. Finley, kill him. From where he stood beneath the copper beach, a slender dark-haired archer lifted his bow and shot in one smooth motion. An arrow seemed to grow out of Eden's broad chest. He curled his hands helplessly around the shaft and fell. Rio Unamira cackled, that for the gratitude of the dragon kind. He genuflected mockingly toward the dragon lord. Eva, Eva, hurry up, we're leaving. Maya, Trion, come quickly. Our gracious liege is dispossessing us from our home. He spat in the dirt. Maya pushed the door open with her shoulder. With Fenris and Morga flanking her on either side, she descended the steps. They all turned to look at her, her grandfather's men, the soldiers, and the dragon lord. He was taller than she was. The amber moonlight seemed to settle on his shoulders. But she was Eva Unamira's daughter. She would not be cowed even by a dragon. Trion is gone, grandfather, she said. She saw him in her mind circling soundlessly around the soldier's perimeter, finding a horse, mounting, riding over the ridge, and gone. He would not have been drunk. He drank. He had an especial fondness for her grandfather's Merinac. But in all the months he had lived among them, she had never seen him drunk. She faced Carador Atani. My lord, she said, and was pleased to hear her voice emerge steady. As you can see, my grandfather drinks more than he should. It makes him foolish. His gaze was like a weight. Who are you? I am Maya de Sorvino. My mother was Eva Unamira. Her grandfather said jauntily, You were supposed to marry her, boy. He giggled. Your father and I planned it all. But then he went mad, mad dragon. 
He ran his hands through his white brush of hair. The dragon lord said, I remember your grandfather wrote me a letter for, no, five years ago. He wanted me to marry you. He looked at her oddly. I thought you were younger. She remembered that letter. Her grandfather had sent it without telling her mother. When finally the old man let it slip, Eva Unamira had been furious. Greedy, thieving sot, she had said. What did you ask for in payment? Gold? A case of wine? My daughter is not a horse or a sheep? To be bartered to the dragon kindred in exchange for a bottle of Merinac? She said, I was younger. Five years ago, I was 13. You're from Nakase? I was born in Sorvino. My father is Marion di Sorvino. My mother and I returned six years ago. Rio Unimira cackled. You want her, my lord? Twenty nobles, and I'll throw in the dogs. He snapped his fingers at the moonlight. You, there, bring me some wine. Carador Atani said, Your mother, is she still alive? She's dead. She died in January, last year. Some emotion, perhaps surprise, perhaps compassion, she could not tell, moved in the dragon lord's brilliant blue eyes. He said, I am sorry. I know what it's like to be motherless. Rio Unamira whined, I want a drink. Trion took my Merinac, the little bastard, little bastard, he turned in a circle. She would never say his name, no matter how I beat her. But I knew. I saw them. I saw them. He giggled senselessly and crouched to pat the dirt with his hands. Caradoritani's face went stony again. Maya said, my lord, I beg you, ignore him. He does not know what he is saying. He's been like this for months. Has he indeed? His face changed suddenly. Of course, he did not lead the raid tonight. Who did? She could tell him it was Eden, but no, one could not lie to the dragon kind. They always knew a lie, and it made them angry. Her mother had told her that. She did not want to make him angry. Let me know if I've gone over too much time. Well, I'm not watching. Just please look. Oh, good. Do not stop. <laughs> My half-brother, Trion, led the raid. Ask any of his cohorts, those that are sober enough to talk. They will tell you. And where is he? She said, gone, I'm sure. He must have heard you coming and escaped. Harrigan, a lean, grim-faced man with a badge on his sleeve, said, one man did get out the back ahead of us, my lord. But he won't get far. Hugh and Eliaf are out there. To her horror, a familiar voice said, My sister tells the truth. I do not deny it. Sweet Seti, it was Trion. He sauntered into the center of the clearing. He held his bare sword in his right hand. However, I must correct her inference that I ran away when your men arrived. I did not run away. I merely moved faster than these Cretans. He cut a contemptuous look at the encircled men. Arrogant, impossible, stupid, Trion. The outlaws looked at him hopefully. Fools, 
Maya wanted to shout at them. He will only make it worse. Her fingers curled into fists. She wanted to hit him. He bowed theatrically, almost derisively, to the dragon lord. Trion Unamira, my lord, at your service. They call me the bastard. I have no interest in your parentage, the dragon lord said. Was it indeed you who led tonight's raid? It was, though I did not kill the old man. Eden did that. Trion nudged Eden's corpse with his toe. He's paid for it, I see. Dragon's justice. The dragon lord's eyes glittered like blue flame. Harrigan, take him. Drawing his sword, the grim-faced officer walked confidently toward Trion. Trion turned to face him. He looked relaxed, even lazy, and entirely unafraid. Suddenly, his drooping sword sliced upward. The Atani soldier's sword spun from his hand. Trion touched the point of his blade to the disarmed man's throat. He said tautly, I am not so easily taken, my lord. Tell your men to lay their arrows in the dirt, otherwise he dies. No one moved. A ghostly bird called across the forest. A second answered. Then Harrigan turned his head to look at his lord. Carrider said, do it. The archers unfastened their quivers and laid them on the ground. Move away from them, Trion said. The dragon lord nodded. His soldiers stepped back. You drunken, stupid pigs, Trion Unamira said scathingly to the outlaws. Find your weapons and meet me where we left the horses. Go! The men scrambled to obey. My lord, as you have ordained, we will leave. You will not see us again, though you may hear of us. I intend that you shall hear of us. I will take your officer with me, however. He shall be my safe conduct till I leave your land. Once we're beyond your borders, I'll let him go. Edric, get a rope. Tie his wrists together in front. Now get me a horse, one of theirs. The rest of you take their horses. Hurry. Edric brought him a horse. Tie the end of the rope to the saddle. The tip of his sword had not deviated an inch. He waited until the rope had been secured, then mounted. I understand you brand brigands in this country. The sword point slashed across the, bounds man's, the bound man's face and returned immediately to his throat. My brand, Trian said. He touched his rigid captive lightly in the center of the chest with the tip of the sword. Blood from the wound on his cheek ran down the man's face and into his clothing. Karaduratani's voice was soft and deadly. If he dies, make mo no mistake, I will find you. I believe you, Trion said. I wouldn't want you to do that. I'll keep him alive. Farewell, grandfather, you're a vicious drunk. I hope your death finds you soon. For a moment, his eyes met Maya's, and she saw the pride and the rage there. Farewell, sister dear. Walk, you. He urged his mount into the trees. The Atani officer, blood streaming down his cheek, loped at the horse's side. The dragon lord's soldiers scrambled to retrieve their weapons. Maya's legs were shaking. The dogs pressed protectively against her. The delicate, insubstantial birdsong went on. The moon, its light diminished, had fallen behind the trees. Dawn was approaching. Rio Unamira whined. 
Eva's little bastard. It was my thought to name him Trion. It means treasure. I meant it as a joke. Joke's on me. The boy took my treasure, stole my soldiers, drank my Merinac. Bad dragon, mad dragon. He glanced archly at the dragon lord. Mad as your father. Old man, for the God's sweet sake, be quiet, the dark-haired archer said. Ha! The old man drew himself up. Who are you to talk to me like that? My lord, your men are rudely mannered. Mad dragon. They say you killed your brother for his treasure. Chests of gold and jewels. He waggled his bony fingers in the air. Poof! I had chests of gold and jewels once. Gone. All gone. Trion took them. He took my Merinac, too. It was the dragon's gold he stole. Your father gave it to me. Kojiro Atani, the black dragon. I wanted him to marry her, but no. He wouldn't do it. Not Eva Unamira, not my daughter. He fucked her, though. She would never admit it, but I saw them, I saw them. I saw them lying beside the stream. I knew it. I knew the Diamori bitch would never satisfy him. The dark-haired archer flinched. Karaduratani's eyes burned like stars. A hot wind rose out of the earth, bowing the tall trees, as if a giant's hand had swept across their tops. Dust and dirt and tiny pebbles whirled in circles. Half blinded by the swirling dust, Maya grabbed for the dog's collars. She could not find them. The hot wind thundered in her ears. She saw her grandfather's mouth fall open, then fire sheathed his head, and he screamed. A bright light seared the clearing. The golden dragon soared above them. Great wings spread like sails. His deadly exhalation fell upon the house. White flame dripped along its walls, its heavy timbers. Fire filled her vision. The trees were burning. Her grandfather howled in pain. Fire whipped about her, devouring the air. She panted, fighting for breath. A terrible, inhuman bellow shook her to her knees. She struggled to her feet. Pain shot through her scalp. She yanked the bronze hair clip from her head and flung it away. A searing silver rain spattered at her feet. Flame erupted from the dry forest floor. She ran and fell and ran again. A tree crashed in front of her, showering her with sparks. Eyes tight shut against the bitter smoke, she felt her way around it. A body cannoned into her. This way, a man's voice cried. This way, get to the river. Suddenly, her legs went out from under her. She fell and slid into a sour, enveloping coolness. Near her, someone sobbed. She clutched at the riverbank. Far away, a horse screamed in agony, a terrible rending sound. The sobbing man cursed. Eventually, the fire passed.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.